Welcome back to the Tipsy Ghosts. We're your tipsy hosts, Sarah, Sarah, and Lindsay. Hey, guys. Hi. Hi. So there has been big news in the true crime world today. I know that this is coming out a little bit later, but today is the day that Natalie Holloway's murder was finally solved. Finally. Finally. Thank goodness. I couldn't handle a mystery anymore. Seriously. man who was already in jail for the murder of another woman finally confessed to killing her and essentially throwing her body in the ocean. Mm -hmm. So her family has closure, which is a good thing. They'll never find her body, which is kind of a sad thing. Yeah. But little fun fact, I won't say fun, little fact, since he's in prison. (laughs) Oh, no, not this again. (laughs) We've gone through this before. (laughs) It is a fact. Interesting fact. Little tidbit. Fact. (laughs) So he is serving a 28-year prison sentence in Peru for the murder of this other woman. Yeah. Peruvian law, you can't go to prison for more than 35 years unless you have a life sentence, which he doesn't have a life sentence. So he will get out. Okay. So his 20-year federal sentence will be served concurrently. Yeah. Okay. Which is not enough. But I mean... So he I will not the very minimum. He has 28 years. Yes. Prior. Um, but even more of why he's a piece of crap, besides the fact that he's killed two women, is that he was trying to extort money out of her family. Yes, he was. I feel a little bit skeptical. I'm just going to be honest about his actual confession. I bet you there's way more to that story. This was all part of a plea deal. So I have a feeling that he was kind of coerced into saying certain things. It sounds very lawyery. Yeah. The things that he says. I know that they did they did a polygraph, I think, with him too. Polygraphs are so they are so reliable. <laughs> Insert my sarcasm. Right. Right there. Right. But uh I don't know what else you're gonna do at I this know. point. I know. Like it's it's his it's polygraph only him. or not, he confessed. He did. He yeah. confessed and that gets closure to the family. And that's great. I just, I'm always going to wonder if there's, yeah. oh, there's more to the story, but he, he, he admitted to quite a bit. So, yes. And we talked a few months ago about unsolved cases we wanted solved. And Natalie Holloway was not on my bingo card for ones I thought would be solved soon. Yes. Because I just assumed that he had done it and that we would never be able to find out for sure. I'm going to give you guys another unsolved for my true crime. God oh, damn it. No. Listen, it is kind of a fascinating story. I know that you have done Diatlov Pass. Yeah. Is that how I pronounce it? Diatlov? Yeah. Diatlov? Sarah said it better. <laughs> we are going to talk about what is called the American Diatlov Pass. Oh. Have you heard of this story? I haven't yet, so What's I'm excited. It called? The Yuba County Five. Wait. Nope. Proceed. Let's see. Okay. So the Yuba County Five, it refers to a group of men from Yuba City, California, who disappeared on February 24th, 1978, after they attended a college basketball game at California State University in Chico. The men are Bill Sterling, age 29, Jack Hewitt, age 24, Ted Weher, age 32, Jack Madruga, age 30, and Gary Mathias, age 25. So these five friends, they all have various intellectual delays or psychiatric issues. We'll talk a little bit about some of them. Gary Mathias, we're going to focus on a little bit. He was in the U.S. Army in the early 1970s and was stationed in Germany. He developed substance abuse issues while over there and was eventually diagnosed with schizophrenia. So he got a psychiatric discharge from the Army. He returned to Yuba City where his parents lived and was in treatment for his mental health. And while he was on medications... His psychiatrist said he was very high-functioning, was able to hold down a job, was doing great. He formed friendships with these other four men. So basically, they were part of this like local program in the city called the Gateway 
it was like a gateway kind of program for people with mental deficits is how they called it. So he was part of this. This is where he met the four men. They all started becoming friends. They played basketball together called the Gateway Gators. Adorable. Adorable. I love alliteration. Um, It's my favorite thing to do. (laughs) Sterling and Hewitt, they had a slight intellectual disability. And Wayher and Madruga were called, quote, slow learners. It's like nothing like they weren't mentally retarded. Or anything like that. But they had some learning disabilities. They had some cognitive delays. That's all I'm getting at. Okay. They all lived with their parents. Most of them were able to hold down a job, though. And they were affectionately called the boys by their parents. Madruga, as well, had been in the Army and had served time in Vietnam and was discharged and was able to drive, had a car, had a job, all these kinds of things. So all of them were pretty high-functioning. So, like I said, they loved sports. They frequently hung out to watch a game or play games. They played basketball together. And on February 25th, they had a tournament. It was a week-long tournament near L.A., or I'm sorry, in Chico, and it was sponsored by the Special Olympics. So they decided to drive up the night before on the 24th, go to this college basketball game, and then in the morning they were going to go to the tournament. They'd been talking about it for weeks. They were all very excited. So Madruga and Matthias, they're the only ones who have a driver's license, and Madruga was very, very proud of his car. He had a 1969 Mercury Montego, and it was turquoise and white, and he loved it, and his parents said it was his pride and joy. He never let anybody else drive it. He took very good care of it. So he drove all of them to Chico, which is 50 miles away. So they go to the game. They're seen at the game. They get back into the car after the game, and they go to a market in downtown Chico where they bought snacks, sodas, and milk. This is all corroborated by the people who worked there. They remembered it was right before 10 because the store closed at 10 and they were annoyed that a big group of people walked in right at closing time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was the last time they were seen alive. Hmm. So the parents waited up all night to make sure that they got home. Nobody came home. So in the morning, that's when they called police. So like I said, it's 50 miles away. So police are basically going up and down that highway looking for anything suspicious. They find no signs of them. And then a few days later, in Pluma's National Forest, a ranger calls investigators and says that he remembered seeing that Montego car parked along a road in the forest on February 25th. It's turquoise. She stands out. She does. She Mm -hmm. does stand out. Mm -hmm. And so February 25th is the day after the disappearance. So he's like, hey, I remember seeing a car that matched that description parked along one of these like roads in our national forest. He didn't report it at the time because many people, if you've ever been to a national forest, people park all along the roads there and then they go hiking for days and days and they leave their cars there. Okay. So he didn't think anything of it, but he saw the missing persons bulletin and the car was described and that's when he called police. But this was on February 28th, so four days after they were missing. Okay. So police get to the national forest. They get to the car. They find evidence that the men had been inside it after they left the market. Like there was empty wrappers, empty cans of soda. So they had ate and drank. And then there was also programs from the basketball game and a roadmap of California. So here's where things get weird. So the car was found 70 miles away from Chico, the opposite direction of where they lived. It was far off from any route back home to Yuba City. So the first question that police were asking is, why did they take a detour an hour away late at night in February? into a national forest. (laughs) National forests are never good news. Right. To see the sights. Well, in the road that they were, the car was on was a winding dirt road. Like it was not a, oh, Mm -hmm. we missed our turn off the highway. Like it was up in the mountains. Uh Uh-oh. Bears. Matcha. 
Lion's mane mushrooms. mushrooms. Maybe they were looking for magic mind. Speaking of, what is your favorite part about magic mind? Well, in order to make the most of my day, I need to be awake and focused. But all these energy drinks do is make me more jittery. Same. Coffee just really hasn't been cutting it for me anymore. So I like to add a little shot of magic mind into my daily routine. I love that it contains all natural ingredients like ashwagandha, which has been around forever. We've all heard of it. It's been shown to help reduce stress and anxiety, but our favorite ingredient is lion's mane mushrooms. Fun fact, lion's mane mushrooms are the fluffiest mushrooms out there, and we recently found out that they look like little tiny ghosts. They really do. They're adorable. So if you're interested in checking out Magic Mind, go to the website at magicmind.com slash ghost20. And get up to 56% off your first subscription or 20% off your first purchase. There's a 100% money back guarantee. No questions asked. So again, it's magicmind.com slash ghost20 and use the code ghost20. The car was in a high elevation part of the forest. It's winter. (laughs) The men didn't pack any extra clothes. They were not planning on staying more than just that night. Madruga's parents, who he was the driver, said he didn't like cold weather. He had never been to the mountains, and why would he even go there? So police were like, okay, so why would they abandon the car? Like I said, it was high up in elevation. It was 4,400 feet above sea level. So they were up there. Okay. And they stopped just short of where the road was closed for the winter due to snow. So the car was stuck in some snowdrift, and there was evidence that the men had tried to like push the car to get the wheels going and get it out. But they were like, the snow is not so deep that five young men in healthy condition would not have been able to get this car out. Like, it should have been pretty easy. And the keys to the car are missing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, maybe the car died and they had to go walk for help. Nope. Police hotwired it and it started immediately right away and still had a quarter tank of gas left in it. Okay. Suspicious. Okay. Suspicious. So the police towed the car back to their station to investigate it further. And they noticed that the undercarriage is completely fine. And this is a pretty low-to-the-ground kind of car. There's no dents. There's no scrapes. There's not even any mud scrapes, despite being driven on a mountain gravel road. So they theorized either Madruga had driven extremely carefully in the night and had not hit any bumps or anything, or someone drove it who was very, very familiar with this road. So the car was also unlocked with the window down, and Madruga's family was like, first off, he would never let anybody drive his car, And secondly, he wouldn't have never left his car in that condition. Like, this was his pride and joy. But like I said at this point, it's been four days since they were last seen by the the time they find the car. And at that point, a severe snowstorm hits. They tried to keep searching, but it got to the point where police were, like, endangering their own lives. They had searchers who almost died in snowdrifts. So they were like, we got to call this off. So they stopped all the search and rescue due to the immense amount of snowfall. And things kind of halt at that point. So the police did receive reports of the men being cited over the next few months. Um, because this was widely covered in the media, most were dismissed. But there are two that stand out that I'm going to talk about. First one is Joseph Scons of Sacramento. So he was supposed to go on a like skiing trip with his family the next weekend. So he decided to drive up to the cabin on the night of February 24th to see how the snow was and check things out at the cabin. At about 5.30, he was driving and his car got stuck in the snow. He tried to get it out, but it was just him. He couldn't get the car to move and he started to have chest pain. So bad that he went back in his car, turned on the engine to keep it running for heat and 
basically laid in his car all night. And when he was eventually found, he did have a mild heart attack. Hmm. So he's laying in his car. He's having all this chest pain. And about six hours pass by, and he sees headlights coming up behind him on this abandoned road. Not abandoned, but in this dark, windy road in the middle of the night. And he sees a car parked behind him with their headlights on, and he can tell there's several people in the car. At one point, they get out of the car, and one of the people was a woman holding a baby. Mm. So, of course, he calls out for help. He's like, help me, help me. And as soon as he said he called out for help, they turned off their headlights and they stopped talking. Ew. Like, <sighs> you can't see us. We're not here. Creepy. So he was like, okay, I don't know what's happening. Maybe they drove off or something. So then he sees, again, flashlights that are, like, right outside his window. And he can hear them talking and can hear the baby. So, again, he starts calling out for help. Like, help me. I'm having a medical emergency. and. They turn the flashlights off and are quiet again. That's not right. Mm-mm. Something's wrong there. His car eventually runs out of gas in the early morning hours. And the pain had gotten okay enough that he could walk. But he had to walk eight miles. It's a long walk. For down the pain. road. Eight uh, miles. Okay. Well. So he was going up, right? So he walked back down the road because he passed the lodge on the way on that turnoff. So he walks eight miles down to the lodge. I hope he doesn't lose himself. Where he goes to the hospital and they're like, yes. In the moment. You had a heart attack. Congratulations, you survived. You own it. <laughs> I'm ignoring your Eminem references. Let it go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you only get one shot. Do not miss the chance to the blow. Blow? This opportunity comes once oh, in yeah, a yeah. That makes lifetime. lifetime. You better go. There you go. All right. So the manager drives him back. <laughs> Thank you. On their Thank way you. to the hospital, and they pass the abandoned car. And he said it was near where he had remembered hearing the voices and seeing the lights from. And fun fact, his car was 150 feet away from that car. Hmm. Hmm. But police found his story a little iffy. So he was in, because he did have a heart attack, he was in a lot of pain. And he was almost delirious with the pain at some point. So they're like, his memory might be a little impacted here. Families don't really like this sighting because they say our sons would not have ignored someone's cries for help like they were very helpful they followed the rules like they were almost like they were kind of i don't want to say on the spectrum but like enough to the point that they were like we have to follow the rules we don't want to get in trouble we want to help everybody okay so they're like they wouldn't have just ignored him okay so second story is from a woman who worked at a store in brownsville which is about 30 miles away from where the car was found on march 3rd she saw the flyers with the men's pictures on it with a reward money posted for information, and that's when she came forward. So kind of a little off. She told deputies that four of the men had stopped at her store in a red pickup truck the day after their disappearance, and her store owner agreed. She said that she saw Hewitt and Sterling in a telephone booth outside the store, and she said the other two came inside, and they bought burritos, chocolate milk, and soda. And family has discounted the story because all of her descriptions of how they acted was not how they were at all. So take that for what it is. I will. All right. Time is passing. The snow is still there. They can't really search. They're not finding anything. Foul play is not really being ruled out because police don't really have much to go on at this point. So we're fast forwarding to June. June 4th. The snow is melting. I hope so. And a group of motorcyclists decide to go on the road. They reach a trailer that is maintained by the U.S. Forest Service. So in National Forest, they have these little, like, trailers, camp out, cabin places for park rangers who need a place to stay for a little bit. So they get to this trailer, and they find that the front window is broken in. And they're like, hmm, this is weird. So they open the door, 
and they smell something. A dead body. They find Weher's decomposing body. Aw. So here come the police. So they return to Plumas National Forest. They start following the road from the trailer where the body was found to where the car had been found. And while they're traveling this road looking for anything, they start finding remains of the boys. Ooh. So uh, two of those remains were identified to be Madruga and Sterling. They were on opposite sides of the road about 11.4 miles from where the car had been found. So the trailer is about 20 miles away from where the car was found. That's a long walk. That's a long walk. And then they find 11 miles from where the car is found on the way to the trailer is where two remains are found. So Madruga's body had been partially consumed by animals at this point. It has been four months. Only bones remained of Sterling, and they were scattered over a pretty small area. Autopsy showed that they both died of hypothermia. Police think that one of them laid down to sleep because that's like one of the last stages of hypothermia. And the other one stayed by his side because he didn't want to leave him. Oh, what a good friend. Two days later, search and rescue is scouring the area. And Hewitt's father, this is the saddest part, found his own son's remains. He found his son's backbone under a bush about two miles northeast of the trailer. And before you asked, they knew it was his son because next to it was his shoes and his pants. Mm, yeah. And his father identified those as well. Um, the next day, a deputy sheriff finds a skull that's downhill from the bush about 300 feet away from where the backbone was found. And dental records confirm that it was, in fact, Hewitt. That's very sad. Very sad. His death was also confirmed to be from hypothermia. So about a quarter of a mile from the trailer, searchers find... Three Forest Service blankets and a rusted flashlight, but TBD if this was something the boys had used or if this was just something that had been left behind by a ranger. Matthias is the only body that to this day has still never been found. Um, Police even were distributing his info to all of the California mental health hospitals, hoping maybe he got found and was dropped off and they've never found him. So let's go back to the body that was found in the trailer. So this was uh, Ted Weeher. All right, so his body was on a bed, and he was wrapped in eight sheets, including his head. were all wrapped up. Mm. Autopsy showed that he died due to starvation and mm-hmm. hypothermia, and here's where things get weird. Okay. He was a pretty stocky guy before, um, but by the time they found him, he had lost almost 100 pounds. Oh, wow. His beard had grown to the point that they suggested he lived as long as 13 weeks. What? And that's why he had lost all that weight over 13 weeks. His feet had frostbite, obviously, to the point of they were almost had gained green on him. On a table next to the bed was a wallet with cash, which was his, jewelry that he always wore, like a ring and a necklace, and a partially melted candle. He was wearing a shirt and pants, but his shoes were never found. And also on the table was a gold Waltham watch that none of the families have claimed was any of theirs. So even more weird is why did he die? Because this is like a trailer that has been set up by park rangers. They have left it supplied. No fire was ever lit in the trailer, despite there being a supply of matches, books, lots of things to burn for kindling. There was heavy forestry clothing that was in the cabin that they never used. There were some cans from a storage shed outside that had been opened and eaten, but inside the same shed was a locker that held dehydrated food and would have kept all five men fed for over a year. Oh, wow. And it hadn't even been touched. Yeah. In another shed nearby on the property was a 
butane tank with a valve. And if they had turned that on, the trailer would have had heating. Oh, no. So, Wayher's family said that he lacked common sense as a result of his mental disability. And they said, you know, he probably, he was such a rule follower, he didn't want to get in trouble for stealing food. Yeah. It's like he literally starved himself to death rather than take this food. Poor guy. And they even told a story once of how the house was on fire while he was sleeping and he, they had to drag him out of the bed because he said if he got out of bed, he would be in trouble. I, I hate that. I know. Police don't believe that he was alone in the trailer for many reasons. They think Matthias and possibly Hewitt had been there with him. So they were the two whose bodies were found near the property. The other two were like still like 10 miles away. So Matthias's shoes were in the trailer and the cans of food were opened with a can opener that was familiar only to military men, which only Madruga or Matthias would have known. And Madruga was 10 miles away and had died that far away. So they think Matthias was there because he used the can opener. They think Matthias put Wayher's shoes on, which is why they are missing, and got lost outside somewhere, and we just never found him. And they also think that because Wayher was wrapped in sheets so tightly, someone must have done that for him. He wouldn't have been able to wrap himself up. Hmm. So where does that lead us? We know that all five are dead, but we don't know why or how. There's no explanation for how they got there, why they were even in the forest in the first place. Their best theory they have after all these years is that Matthias had friends in a close town and maybe they were attempting to visit them at 11 o'clock at night and got lost and took a wrong turn that put them on a mountain road and didn't know what to do. Um, They said that, you know, they left the car for some reason, but instead of going back down the road towards where the lodge was that they would have passed, they just continued to go up the road and up the mountain instead. Oof. They believe that Madruga and Sterling died of hypothermia about halfway through that long walk. And then once the remaining three found the trailer, they broke the window to enter. But because they feared getting in trouble for theft, they did not use the food or the clothes or even the gas and the heat that was available. The case is still open. They have not closed it. And family believes that there was some wrongdoing here and that the men were forced up the mountain and somebody else was there. And forced them to live for 13 weeks. They think that they kept them there because that watch is there that is nobody's. They don't know how that watch was left there. And they have all said our boys would not have gone up this mountain. They would not have even gone in the national park to begin with. I don't know. We'll never know. It's weird. But it's also very sad and unfortunate that there was literally enough food for them. Right. That's heartbreaking. And heat. And heat. They would have had heat if they had just lit it. They didn't even try to light a fire. Do you think they, they knew that it was there because it was out in the shed? Yeah. So they had gone to the shed and they had there were some cans of food that they had uh, gotten they into got and eaten. There. And they said also in that shed was like enough yes. dehydrated food. And then there was a huge propane tank outside the trailer that if they had just turned it on, they would have had heat. Aww. And they said there was matches in the cabin. There was clothing in the cabin that they could have worn. They weren't wearing any of the clothing. That's heartbreaking. It's sad. I can see how it's similar. Mm-hmm. To the other story. All died of hypothermia or starvation, but... But also, it was in a park, and we know about those parks. We know about those parks, but it's also a death that... Sad that he let himself starve for three yeah. months. That's Absolutely. a rough, rough Rather thing. than steal the food that was there. Or All turn right. on the heat. That's terrible. That's terrible. So I heard about that story, and people call it the American Diatlov Pass because of the similarities to it. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was an interesting story. It is. I've never heard of it. Thank no, you. No, neither have I. You are welcome. Thank you for another unsolved. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, 
we know kind of what happened. They died of starvation and hypothermia. But where's Matthias' well, body? Why has it never been found? You know the, the reason that they died, but you don't know why they were there, which is a big part of why they died. I don't know why they were there. Aliens. And aliens. I was waiting. It has to be aliens. Did that guy who had the heart attack, he said that he heard men's voices, but also saw a woman with a baby. And his car was 150 feet away. He would have been able to see the headlights. It was an alien baby? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> named Alan? Sasquatch. And he had a heart attack and was able to walk the eight miles back to the lodge after because having he a heart was attack. Shocked from seeing aliens. Oh my god! I don't know what it was. It was mm-hmm. an alien. Mm-hmm. Who knows? All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in this week to our true crime episode. You can always find us at thetipsyghost.com with our socials linked from there, or send us an email at thetipsyghost at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star rating and a great review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate it, and it really does help. All right, guys. Thanks so much. We'll catch you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.